filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. too many goddamn soccer games uh and it is wearing me thin listeners you weren't around for the pre-show conversation and warm-up that we normally do jason is a beaten man right now <laughs> he's defeated and, and it's it's early in the week is the is the real the real like four alarm fire here is that like i'm saying this now and it's there's a game wednesday the spirit play friday dc play saturday yeah, if you can send cases of Monster Energy or coffee beans to, yeah, I'm an adult. Send uh, me coffee. To, uh, <laughs> I mean, I assume you can just send it to Audi Field, care of Jason Anderson, and they'll the find spiders, The press box spiders will sign for the packages for me. We've we've formed a relationship at this point. <laughs> uh, would you accept donations of shoot? What is it called? Buck Buckfast. Yes. Uh, always, that's an always a yes. Um, <laughs> probably not to, circumstances. Uh, probably don't send that to Audi Field. They might put that in a concession stand and then Jason would have to buy it. That's not, it's not really donation at that point. Right. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United and um, hashtag Save Jason podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com where we cover DC United, the Washington Spirit, and uh, plenty of other soccer-related things here in the DMV. This podcast, however, is mostly about DC United. That's what we're talking about tonight. We've got a 4-2 to two win over Cincinnati to talk about. And we're going to do a really quick preview of DC United's upcoming visit from Minnesota United. No guests tonight, um, so we're going to keep that one pretty quick, I think, um, especially since it is such a quick turnaround. That game is Wednesday night, 7.30 on Buzzard Point. Watch it in all the usual spots, NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, ESPN+, Plus, really whatever strikes your fancy, I guess, depending on your location. Uh, before we talk about anything else, though, Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, I bought this bottle uh, in sadness, but also in honor of my boss, who is leaving our department after uh, six years as my boss, which is the longest I've ever had one single boss. Uh, and so I decided to toast her, uh, toast her with uh, Lafrague, uh, the uh, smoky, peaty, kick you in the face scotch uh, that is uh, just excellent. That's a good one. I, I got an orange at the grocery store a week ago or something. Um, a top shelf and- orange. Uh, yeah, classic top shelf orange. And I and told my wife to... I was getting this for drinks, specifically for drinks. And um, she reminded me that it was still sitting on the counter. I was like, all right, I'm going to use it tonight. And so I'm like, I don't really just want to make a Manhattan with an orange peel. Not really feeling like a Negroni. So I made a Mezcal Old Fashioned with orange and lemon bitters, uh, a sugar cube, and some orange peel in it. 
So I used a very small amount of that orange for drinks, but lived up to my commitment. Adam, there was a brief moment there where you paused after you just said, I got an orange. And I was really thinking that you were just (laughs) going to say that you were squeezing an orange and drinking whatever came out. uh, And that was it. And I was going to be like, much. That's I believe that would be orange juice. I believe that's what comes out of an orange. I'm not 100% sure. Well, but like, it ta- like it, you need a substantial amount of fruit to actually juice. Like, juicing yes, fruit true. is a fool's errand. Yes. Jason, what are you drinking? Please tell me it's fruit juice. <laughs> uh, it, there is fruit in it. Uh, the fruit, fruit related. Uh, a while ago, I think I, I don't know if I brought it up on the show or not. I tried to do this like, um, I tried to add some of, I got a bunch of cherries. I put them in some bourbon for a week in a jar to try and macerate the cherries and also to give that bourbon some cherry accent to it. Um, it didn't really work the first time, but that bourbon has still been sitting in the jar. Um, so I was like, I kind of, you know, this jar is going to become necessary for something. So I can't just leave it sit here forever. So I used some of that and made a, a little bourbon cherry Coke kind of thing. Um, it is still not cherry enough, so it really is effectively just a bourbon and Coke. Um, I wish there was more cherry flavor in this. It just did not – whatever I did did not imbue that bourbon with enough cherry flavor, um, so it is my fault. Maybe it, maybe I needed to, like, mash the cherries up a little bit in there, like muddle them before shutting the jar. I don't know. Well, did um, the cherries pick up the bourbon flavor at least? Yes. Yes, they okay. did that. When, when I ate those, those were like – you could do one and it was almost like every one of them was almost like having a shot of bourbon. Um, so those cherries are long gone though. This is just a, um, a jar of bourbon that doesn't really taste like cherries, uh, that I keep every once in a while. I come back to him. Like, hopefully it tastes like cherries this time. And it hasn't, they don't, it, it doesn't change. It's the same. Just cycle more cherries through the jar. It might or have else, to become or else mash it up. Maybe it's a one-way process for but, flavor. But now we're out of cherry season, so it's a uh, less feasible. I mean, you can still get cherries. It's just not as like here's cherries. As soon as you walk into the grocery store, there's a big display of like they're, they're not farm cherries. cherries. They're yeah. new. Um, and now instead, it's like you have to go hunting for them back by the bananas. Yeah, oh yeah, or, or you could just get the cherries that have been suspended in that uh, obscenely red liquid for probably decades. Mm. Get that. Get that um, oh, but they're so good. slight hallucinatory uh, thing that comes from that red food coloring. Well, let's talk about soccer now. <laughs> you don't want to talk about having a slightly bad reaction to red food coloring? Is this is this like the cochineal, like the the red food coloring that comes from literal bugs? No, no, no. The the chemical um, I can't remember which. It's red something, but one of the the synthetic. Uh, Red six maybe has a uh, apparently a very uh, if you ingest a gargantuan amount of it, uh, so not you could drink the entire maraschino cherry content uh, and not have it probably. But there is some some red food coloring supposed to mess you up a little bit, um, probably in a bad way. Uh, I don't do this. This is my fun way. My legal advice is don't ingest (laughs) enough red food coloring to see if it makes you trip out a little bit. Don't do that. I'll sign off on that legal advice, actually. Um, <laughs> anyway, DC United came out of the gate on absolute fire on Saturday night, put FC Cincinnati to the sword, settled affairs early, and uh, never mixed their metaphors to claim a 4-2 win over the blue and orange on Buzzard Point. Paul Ariola had a brace. 
Stephen Birnbaum and Nigel Roberta also found the back of the net before the visitors pulled a couple back, but DC United were never losing this game uh, once they actually got going. Um, and, and really, despite the let up at the end, job done. Yeah, uh, really not too much to complain about on that front. Um, you know, this was a game where you want to make sure that you put, you kind of put Cincinnati out of it quickly. Um, they've been fragile. And you don't, this is a team you don't want to let them start to believe that they're in the game. And much like they did to Chicago, uh, DC went out and made sure that Cincy never really believed they were in the game. Um, it wasn't even, you know, the goal wasn't their first chance. Um, and that's kind of the the way it has to work. It's, it's you know, whether it's by set pieces, Ben wrote about the set pieces, uh, the fact that yep. the first two goals came came that route. Um that's great if that's if that's how DC puts games out of reach early by just creating so much trouble that eventually you get these dead ball situations and then capitalizing from there. Great if if it is open play, that's also great. Um, they they ended up generating two of those as well. So yeah, a game that um, United did did the thing early and then really that that third goal. Um, open the door to make make the second half not even necessarily about the second half. It started to become about, um, well, there is a game on Wednesday as well, so we can take that into consideration. We don't have to um, pour too much more energy into this game, and, and we can, you know, rest some guys and try some new things. We, we got to see Griffin Yao play left wing back for a little while. That's not something we've seen a bunch of. So he gets those reps and, and uh, adds to his repertoire a little bit. Um, you get Andy Nahar doesn't have to be out there. If you're, if there's any worry about his fitness, you say, okay, let's preserve him so that he can play on Wednesday. Um, or maybe, and, and this is, you know, we'll see how things go Wednesday, but like, because there's a Wednesday followed by a Saturday on the road, um, maybe even preserve him a little bit Wednesday so that he can play against Orlando, which if you're asking which of these two games coming up, DC needs to win the Orlando game is the one you would want. Um, if you if you're told you can only pick one, that's the one to win. Um, but hopefully we get you know we can get yeah, greedy and obviously we don't have to choose. But it, but the, one of the best ways to not have to make that choice as far as Nahar goes is to not have him play ninety against Cincinnati. Yes. Um, and that is the going out and getting that third, especially that is um in in its way that like that is kind of good team play because it allows you to to rotate. You're know, getting that lead comes with benefits down the bench and preserving legs and all that other stuff. So um, really, you know, outside of the late goals that Cincinnati got, which were not too great, um, really this is how you want to play these things out. Um, You couldn't have scripted the first 75 minutes better. Um, Do you guys remember the 1994 movie Little Big League? I mean, I've heard of it, but uh, I did not want to watch a baseball movie in the 90s. So it was a movie about a kid who's a total baseball nerd. His grandpa owns the twins and his grandpa dies and leaves the twins in their entirety to this kid. Mm -hmm. And he goes in and tries to remake and makes himself the manager of the team. And they're terrible when he inherits them. They're terrible when he starts. And then he's like, we're going to make this fun again. We're going to start doing trick plays and all this stuff. And every time I see a scripted set piece work for DC United, I'm just reminded of like the hidden ball trick and the various 
trick plays they do in wait uh, there's a different 90s movie. baseball movie that had a hidden ball trick because they did that in the uh the movie where the kid's arm broke and yeah he could throw the was ball that... faster yes then i remember that too his, they did it his there. arm magically heals in the yeah, middle these, of a game these and two movies they were very similar mean, Oh, and they God. did that in uh, Little Giants in the football version of it as well. Yes, this was a the, doing trick plays to have fun was a trope in nineties children's well, no, sports. Movies. The, the the broken arm one. It was also because his arm started not working for baseball. It started working like a normal human arm, and so right. he was like, "How am I going to get out of this inning without being able to throw properly?" And then he uh, threw the resin bag instead of the ball. Um, because of course that will definitely catch everyone off guard every yes. time. Um, yes. That, regrettably, we're n- we're not going to get into the baseball trick rookie of the year. Ed. Yeah, that one was rookie, rookie of, of the year. year was yes. the broken arm one. Yeah, I should be able to remember that because I referred to that guy by the name rookie of the year when he was in the movie American <laughs> Pie as a grown up. I was like, oh, it's rookie of the year, and and this other guy Stifler. Um, and those are their names now forever. Wait, was um, Jason Biggs the rookie of the year? No, it was the other guy. Um, okay. The guy that in that movie was dating Tara Reed's character, who's oh, none of their the, names matter in the movie. Ca- Casanova, I think, is who he was in American Pie. Like tall, had a very '90s floppy haircut. Thomas yeah, he, Ian Nichols. No, uh, rookie of the year. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I'll change it on Wikipedia for you. There you go. Every, Thank you. Every time I see a scripted yeah. set piece come off perfectly, and just the guys are having so much fun, they're like, "This actually worked." Yeah. I'm reminded of these 90s sports movies yeah. and that's how i felt in this game because the first one was a scripted corner that, that julian gressel plays short to edison flores um who then plays it back to gressel underneath because the defense just bought gressel's run that he was going to swoop around the outside because he's left-footed and is going to send in a left-footed cross i don't know they bought it and instead he sends in a, a sizzling worm burner to paul ariel at the back post and then the second one um really straightforward have your biggest guys in the middle of the line running the offside line straight at the goalie and just chip it into that space and hope one of them gets ahead on it and it worked perfectly yeah. Yeah. and like i like i said in the in in the reactions post it's it's already been established that right now dc united is the best team in the league on set pieces they by the underlying continued, metrics yeah yeah by x they continue shush uh they continued that streak. Don't don't get your your particularities in here, nerd. Um, Have you heard this podcast before, Ben? Yeah, this I, is I, a nerd I, show. I, I know this, <laughs> this is the nerd podcast. Um, we stuff ourselves in lockers. Yeah, thank you. They um they continued that dominance, but then they also continued later on, as we'll get to. Uh, they they showed the other side of their game. They showed their ability to score goals from the run of play. They. Uh, showed their ability to uh, play to the whistle and not just uh, obey the arm of the uh, assistant referee and the gesticulations of uh, Jeff Cameron. Uh, they really showed a lot of, uh, of different sides of themselves. Uh, in other past years, maybe not with a four-goal lead, but with, with a lead where uh, the opposing team scores late, in years past, that would always make me immediately nervous. If it was like three to zero and then became three to one in the 75th minute, I would become immediately nervous because it didn't happen all the time. But we we have seen DC United's of the past like tie or lose those games from those positions. But it seems like so after uh, six months of games so far that 
Hernan Losada's teams don't necessarily do that. They get those early goals, they get more goals, and then they're able to, I think as Matt Doyle said, put it in cruise control, but like still ride out the game. So right. it was good. It was good to see uh, all fa- all facets of the game from DC United in this one. What well, and when you talk about that, the first goal, this the the set piece design, um, the reason why the players might have had so much excitement over it. Um, when you look at what DC committed risk wise, it's very low risk because they only have seven players up, and and Cincinnati had everyone back. They had all eleven players. They didn't send. They they were very worried about DC's set pieces. Um, so they flooded the box. It like it's 11 guys and it's not like the 11th is like right, just barely inside the 18. They're all pretty far back. Um, and what, what catches them off guard is actually Edison Flores starts the play offside and like sort of serving that role of like, Oh, I'm going to stand near the goalkeeper and get in his way. Um, but Flores takes off um, when, when Gressel starts to approach the ball, Flores is sprinting around Teton to get onside. Um, and the timing of it is perfect. He just barely gets back onside, but the guys at that near post aren't looking for him. He he's he had been by Teton. They're like, oh, he's just going to be bothering the goalkeeper. We don't have to worry about him. And then he runs off their shoulders, and all of a sudden he pops up, and they're like, oh, what is this? What's happening? Um, and that's why Flores has the time to sort of feign, like, like Gressel kind of directs his run. It's sort of an arcing run where yeah. he changes direction and so Flores faints like it's going to be a pass towards the corner of the box and they both know that it's actually just as soon as Gressel dips his shoulder and starts running to the end line you just have to lay the ball there and um Ola Kamara actually occupies a defender at the top of the six and that's what keeps we, we saw them try this a little while ago um or similar something similar where the idea was that Gressel would come in at this angle Gressel got called offside on that, right. I think it was a couple of weeks ago or three weeks yeah. ago. Um, and in this case, you have Kamara there occupying a defender who's like, okay, I'm marking DC's top scorer. I better stay on, you know, stay on him. Um, and so instead of stepping out, uh, Viasia ends up being the player that keeps Gressel on. Um, and from there, uh, you know, at, this is the part where like DC's fooled Cincinnati at this point where they get it all wrong for Cincinnati is they could still save themselves by not letting Ariola get open. Um, <laughs> this is the thing where it's not even trickery. It's just good old fashioned. Like in soccer, it's good to stay goal side at the guy you're marking, like stuff you learn as like a 10 year old um, because they just let Ariola go. And it's two different players. One of them being Jeff Cameron, um, which uh, I think we all take at least some joy in, in that <laughs> fact. Um, just, they just let him run. Um, and it's just Gressel picking out that Ariola's broken free and is going to be open. And if he f- fires that pass in there, no one's going to get a leg onto it fast enough to deflect it. And if they do, they might be just putting it in their own goal anyway. Um, and so that's that's just good set piece design because you've got a player filling what looks like a traditional role on a set piece. And it turns out to be his job is completely different. Um, and then you've got another player filling a traditional role whose job is just to help you stay on side. It has nothing to do with, you know, if Kamara ends up scoring great, but like, that's not his role right there. His role is to just occupy a defender and, and move where offside is um, closer to the end line so that Gressel can curve his run without risking the offside call of last time. So 
uh, great execution and great set piece design. And uh, this is, these are the fruits of that is that, um, you know, sometimes the second one, like you said, Adam was, uh, um, we're just going to try and uh, serve the ball into a dangerous spot. And one of our big guys is going to go try and hit it. Um, hey, that's and good Cincinnati, design. <laughs> Cincinnati did a bad job with that as well. Cause like burn bomb was just open. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't explain. And also, what, People around and what me was Teton doing? That he was offside because he was so wide open. Right. And they just um, timed their run. He and Pines both broke through. Like, either of them could have headed that ball. And Teton, to Ben's point, just didn't seem to understand they were there. You see him bending over to catch the ball, assuming no one's going to get to it first. <laughs> yes. And instead, it, like, just loops over his head. While he's, he stood yeah, he, there like a grand Teton. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel for him to some extent because, like as a goalkeeper, like part of his job is at that point, he doesn't see anyone slashing into his field of vision. So he's like, okay, this is just a situation where I need to prepare to catch this ball. But like his field of vision, like what he needs to be able to see there does need to be larger because um, there is no real excuse for him to not be prepared on this one. But also like if you're Teton to a certain extent, you've got to be able to trust your guys to not let this happen. And, this is another one where I believe Lucho is the only player not in the box, and he's sort of a one-man wall, uh, sort of a half, mm-hmm. half-hearted wall. It, DC didn't. It's not like DC sent the kitchen sink for. They left a bunch of guys back to prevent a possible counter, which they have given up a couple counters this year. Um, and yet, despite that mismatch, it's and this one didn't take. There, there's not like a disguise. There's not guys causing havoc where Cincinnati gets confused about who they're marking. It's just, we're going to play the ball, to burn bomb or to pines, the big guys, and they're going to run towards the goal and try and head it to the goal. And that's what we're doing. Um, and Cincinnati, just the field players for them completely failed at accounting for that. So yeah, Teton looks bad, but like everyone else for Cincinnati, except for Lucho also looks bad. Uh, jumping ahead to the fourth goal, the, Third goal was a great finish from Ariola. I have no idea whether Flores meant to head the ball to him or into that space, or if it was just him reacting to the ball from Gressel getting up on his face really quickly. Either way, he gets credited with an assist. Mm-hmm. But on the fourth goal, Ben, you alluded to the assistant referee raising his flag, which <laughs> they are specifically told not to do in mm-hmm. goal scoring situations, especially if it's close, like if it's five yards, whatever. Um, it's obvious, but this was not yeah. obvious, and the AR blew it, and it actually helped yeah. because right. he, uh, Chris Penso did not. I was going to say he behaved like an AR in the pre-VAR era, yes. Um, where you know this is what you're supposed to do. If and, and in fact, if you're watching leagues that do not have VAR, if you watch uh, NWSL or if you watch uh, some other leagues that don't have it, this is how you're supposed to behave. Um, but in MLS, you are very, very clearly told, like, let this be, if, if it's this close, let VAR take take the responsibility off your hands. Yeah, if it's at all close, like, right. if there's any overlap at all between their bodies, uh, you have to leave the flag down. He put it up. Chris Penso, to his credit, did not blow the whistle. He he let play continue. He does, that didn't... He does take a look. Uh, he takes a good long look at the AR, uh, which is interesting because that means like, he's like... Briefly taking his eye off the play, he's like, what do you think about this? Um, which is kind of funny. I wonder if he was kind of like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> maybe, why are you raising honestly, your flag? Maybe, 
Um, like just the thoughts he's going through because that's not supposed to happen at this level. But Minnesota, some of their players literally stopped playing because the mm-hmm. flag went up. Um, Nigel Roberta did not stop playing. He scored, and Chris Penso gave the goal on VAR cool. because he has to at that point. Yeah. Like, and, and you, I'll, I'll credit um, if you watched the DC broadcast because I, I you can't hear it in the, uh, the press box, but after the game, um, pulling up the highlight and listening to the audio. You hear Devin, Devin McTavish it. say very emphatically he's onside. Um, he yep. saw it from... He said, bad he, step, it's on. Yeah, He saw it uh, when the ball was played from Burnbaum up to Roberta. He saw it from the announcing booth, and then he saw it again when they watched the replay and was like, ah, this, this should count. Um, and, you know, fortunately for us, I didn't like a lot of Chris Penso's decisions um, in this yep. game. The game got physical in a way it didn't need to. Um, and... and some of that as a referee, you have to read that like Cincinnati's bad. They are very frustrated with how life is going. It's not even them being lashing out at DC. They're just in a bad mood. Um, and you have to know that that's going to result in some fouls that don't need to be committed and maybe need a little harsher punishment. But on this one, mercifully, he did the right thing, even after a member of his crew made a mistake. Um, so I know Cincinnati was very happy. I think that was the main quote I saw from um, the no longer coach of Cincinnati yeah, <laughs> Sam, um, was that he didn't understand how the fourth goal could be given, but like, that's a classic complaint for a coach that's about to be fired is like when w- the goal that made it four, nothing instead of three, nothing shouldn't <laughs> have been given. Um, and, and, and because at that point you don't want to be like, we went out there and gave up two set piece goals that are both just like, what on earth are we doing? Um, because your players already feel bad enough. So you're trying to build them up and find anything else to talk about but you do end up having to dig so deep in a game like this where you're like, I wish that that offside call. uh, And the thing is, it didn't even, it didn't necessarily land in the DC game. It related to a call that went against them in a previous game where this happened to them and wasn't handled correctly. Um, And it was almost like they were like, well, why, why did we get the bad one and they get it handled correctly? And it's like, well, okay, but it's so it's good that it was handled correctly this time is the thing. Like, right. what you're asking for is for a mistake in your favor, which is not how things work. You're like, I wish this had been screwed up for us. I mean, I felt the same way, um, like, looking at the Atlanta game, the foul Donovan Pines gets called for against Bello that le- leads to the first goal. The exact same thing happened to Kevin Paredes. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think it was Paredes. It might have been Yao late in this game, like, they're all running together because, as you said, there's too many soccer games right now. But the exact same thing happens, and no foul was given. Mm-hmm. I think it was I think it was Griffin Yao at the end of this game where he just gets taken down. But oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he also had a handful of the defenders shirt. Oh yeah, so he, the call was play on. The 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 unfortunately for Griffin Yao, he came into this game and it was like no one's like there will be no fouls called uh, in Griffin Yao's favor. Um, yes. And so uh, yeah. he unfortunately got almost more physical treatment when normally we're used to Kevin Paredes taking these kicks and whatnot. Um, And he didn't get too much in this game, but Griffin Yao in like a short 19 minutes got like a full, like two games worth of being kicked and shoved and whatnot, um, which is not really cool Uh, guy's birthday. And you're just going to go out there and, and shove him (laughs) to the ground and, and, and get away with it. Um, But it seemed like he was doing all right after the game. He he seemed to be in a great mood. So, um, you know, We'll, we'll we'll take it That's i guess good to hear. But yeah um uh, you know it's it's 
if VAR is going to continue in MLS, and, and I don't have a problem with it the way it's implemented in MLS, um, for those yeah. of you that subject yourselves to Premier League in the mornings on the weekends, uh, do not confuse their terrible VAR, um, which is a nightmare <laughs> from hell, um, with somehow MLS has figured out the way to do it, it seems like. Like all the other VAR experiences I've seen watching soccer elsewhere, it's like, well, this isn't very good. Um, and MLS is like, okay, I can handle this. Um, and it's not familiarity. It's just like MLS has set it up in a way that makes the most sense and reduces the number of uh, bad and or anger making decisions. Whereas it seems like the Premier League set theirs up specifically to make people angry and not to get not to make things good, but to make people angry. Um, and so it's it's nice that uh, MLS VAR is built and implemented in a way where this is usually how things go more often than not. VAR bails bails out a bad call, like in this case, the AR is making a bad call or other things. Now, maybe we lean on it too much, um, though it seems down. That's why it's there. That's why you have it. Anecdotally, I feel like we've seen fewer VAR situations this year. Yeah, um, that feels right. Which is good. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like it's down, which is also good. We don't want to use it all the time, but in this case, it needed to be used. Right. I think they also have gotten quicker about whether to use it or not, which is probably why we've seen fewer, because there were so many times where it'd be like two and a half minutes of deciding yes. whether to use it. And right. like now it's like if it's taking you over a minute, then it's not clear <laughs> and obvious. Um, yeah, especially the Wayne Rooney uh, era. It yes. seemed like every game involved a two to three minute VAR break. Um, notoriously, the the three two Orlando win with the Lucho hat trick involved i want to say like four var mm-hmm. checks um, there are a lot you you should not have four var checks in any game um and credit to you know we complain a lot about the mls referees here including on this show tonight um but credit to them for in this case doing the right thing and you know sorting themselves out and i will again t- I, i'm going to take time to point out that the person making that you adam you said that Devin's quote was a bad step he's he's on it was the, Jeff the Cameron. bad step because it's Jeff Cameron uh, <laughs> yeah. showing up late, stepping, stepping and putting his arm up at the same time, which is that thing of like, uh, it feels like running a stop sign and then trying to tell when you get pulled over, like, no, I didn't run that stop sign. It's like, well, you did. Couldn't, um, it, couldn't it happen still, to I a nicer guy. It. I acknowledge right. the stop sign. It's like, that's not the rule. Right. <laughs> the rule isn't <laughs> that you acknowledge it. It's that you stop. But yeah, uh, uh Cincinnati's bad um, and, yep. and they shot themselves on the foot on all of these goals. And um, I would have, of course we would all like DC to maybe generate uh, a few more chances. Not that they were low on chances, but like carve out a few more from open play. That would be, if you've got a bone to pick with this game outside of the, th- the last five minutes or 10 minutes, then that would be it. Um, but, you know, if this is a team that, that can both, successfully create on set pieces and then also capitalize when the other team makes mistakes. Well, they have to play a system that is designed to make the other team make mistakes. So they're going to be good. Um, And if they happen to add the open play element in with the set piece success and the make the other team screw up success, then the sky's kind of the limit at that point. That's like getting, getting all three of those aspects in one game. That's how you get a seven one over TFC. This one, they only got two of the three, and so you end up with four two. And you know, it could have, it should have been four nothing. They should have gotten out of this game without giving up any. Yeah. But oh well. Yeah, shouts to Lucho who did get a goal in this one. Um, it was a weird goal after a 
bad back pass and a bad turnover. And then uh, Lucho gets on the ball in the box and somehow beguiles three United defenders before deflecting it in off of one of them. It was a, it was a very strange goal, but I think Brian Fernandez, that's his name, right? The, the sub that came in for Cincinnati and kind of said, guys, we're allowed to score goals. We should, we should try to score goals. Um, he was involved with, with both of them. Uh, turning to United's individual performances, um, there's there's a quote that's been going around a lot, an old Bruce Arena, <clears throat> excuse me, an old Bruce Arena quote um, about what defines good teams in MLS, and it applies. It's being applied to his team in New England a lot, but I think it 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 works for DC United at least on this game. That's your best players have to be your best players, and in this one, Julian Gressel uh, showed up, balled out, three assists on this one uh, candidate for player of the week uh, in the, the first 11 for team of the week um, obviously showed up on set piece delivery and, and also in open play. Um, Paul Ariola, one of our DPs had two goals. The other DP Edison Flores had two assists, one of which he may not have known m- much about, but you know, <laughs> you still get credit for that mm-hmm. uh, at least some of the time. Uh, Bill Hamid came up big when he had to, got lucky when he needed to uh, on a rebound that went to Acosta when it was just two nothing. That kick save he had in the second half was excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a couple. He's it's great when he shows up. Stephen Birnbaum, your captain, gets on the the score sheet and locks it down um, when the game needs to be locked down early. Anyway, Um, Hamid also had. had a couple of his big saves or one of them at least came at one, nothing um, because mm-hmm. yeah. as much as this game seemed easy, Cincinnati did have some, some chances. They weren't completely helpless. This wasn't, um, you know, I, I want to say it was Chicago that went a long time without a shot. Um, um, you know, we've Atlanta seen the games, first time. Yeah. We, where we've seen, we've seen, we've seen DC completely held the team at bay. Um, Cincinnati did have some moments. Brenner um, will probably be, very frustrated that Bill Hamid kept denying him specifically. Um, but uh, that is, that is a big deal for DC because if the goalkeeping isn't sharp in those few moments, then this game gets stressful. Uh, it didn't have to be stressful. And that's a big, just as much as scoring the goals in the first half is a big factor. So too is uh, producing a couple big saves in the moments where the game is still close. Um, that is how you build that lead out. If you're not going to be completely dominant, then um, you, it, it's definitely helpful to be able to come up with the big play defensively that is unlike Cincinnati, who were not able to come up with that play at all. I know it's a hot take, but I'm very happy to see Bill Hamid back between the sticks <laughs> and, and not anybody else. Um, I know that's me going way out on a limb here. And, right. But, you know, uh, the limb is actually the size of Montana. It's <laughs> in no danger of, of falling. Um, the win takes DC United up to sixth place in the East. Uh, it also ties DC United for the second best home record in MLS behind, I believe only new England who mm-hmm. are going to set the points record this year. Seems <laughs> uh, like it. Yeah. Wouldn't you know it? Five of the team's last eight games in this regular season are at home. They're on buzzard point. Hey, it works hey, out that's pretty, pretty well. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty convenient. I like it. Um, one other note before we, we throw it to break, and that is that Hernan Losada, possibly in record time, has claimed his second scalp as a coach. 
um, earlier this year after the 7-1 win against Toronto. Chris Armas was relieved of his duties uh, up north. And then the day after this one, Yapstam uh, also bites the dust. So Hernan Losada is real good at, um, I think, putting teams out of their misery. Or at least Hernan Losada's DC United is, is getting pretty mm-hmm. good at, at putting bad teams out of their misery and forcing them to make a change. It is. So I mean, it's almost, Cincinnati fans. It's almost like I, I almost wish that he wasn't this good at it because I'd like for the the Armises and the Opstoms of the world to stay around a little longer, if only for DC United to take more advantage of them. <laughs> It's it's kind of wild that that Stom was still there. Yes, um, because we talked about this coming into the game that they were like one win in fifteen games. Um, generally speaking, that's not a thing that you're allowed to get away with, uh, especially when the team has spent like Cincinnati has spent. Um, though they're also in that situation where they've been such a mess for their entire run in MLS. They're like, well, let's have some stability. Um, but at a certain point, like. This was this was untenable a while ago. They've never been good under Stam. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know why this was the game rather than some of the other ones for them because it's not like they've had other games that were like, oh, well, it was so close. Uh, there's been a lot of this for Cincinnati, but um, it, ironically, I feel like them bringing Tyrone Marshall in, and, and even if he just does like regular MLS, like, we're going to be a four, two, three, one team. We're going to play mid block. It's going to be hyper simple. Um, we're going to try not to get clobbered anymore. Um, they'll probably get better as a result of that instantly, which is sad. Um, but also maybe there is something to that, that uh, in MLS, uh, if you're, if your coach is, has the reputation of someone who's good, but isn't actually hasn't proven it anywhere. Maybe that shouldn't be your coach um, because this is not the first time that a coach with, you know, Yap Stam played uh, on the Netherlands for like a hundred caps. Like he played for Manchester United. He played for uh, Ajax, huge reputation. Um, much like Frank de Boer, huge reputation. Um, maybe, not, maybe we shouldn't not, be bringing in Dutch coaches to MLS. We'll, we'll, we'll find, find Dutch coaches who have accomplished something. Um, don't just <laughs> right. hire the guys that were great players. Um, because, and happen to get a job with a big club, maybe. Right. And and why did they get hired at that previous big club? It's because of their reputation as a player. So, um, so you're saying that, that you're saying that we sh- that uh, Cincinnati should bring in Goose Heating. Uh, I did read um, uh, Carl Anka at the athletic UK wrote an article about um, that, that people should look at, look if, into this, if you've got the athletic um, uh, Louis van Hall did a, um, a contest in the Netherlands where for if you bought a ticket to the raffle, you could be his assistant manager for one game at the club uh, Telstar, who are like by far the lowest budget team in the uh, second division. They're actually on Eric, Eric Sorgo will be playing against this team later this year to give you an idea. But this is the like brokest team in that division. And they did a contest where uh, Louis Van Hall would be their coach for one game. And if you won the raffle, you got to be his assistant for that game. Now, it turned out that the actual coach of the team still picked the lineup and still was kind of like around to make sure that, cause it's like, this is still a game that counts for the team. Like they, <laughs> right. they can't just screw this game off. Um, but uh, it, it's an interesting situation. Um, so maybe, maybe they should call uh, Van Hall is, is what I'm getting at. If they want to hire another Dutch person with a big reputation, who's been involved in some strange things, 
Cincinnati seems pretty strange right now. Maybe they should call See, him what up. What I was hearing is that they should hold a raffle to become mm. their next manager. Well, so the, yeah. so the person the person that won the raffle is apparently a hockey coach. Um, well, maybe they should and, just bring that guy over. Don't even hold another raffle. Just hire yeah, that's that true. guy. We already, we, we already know he's a winner. He already won a raffle. It's true. Uh, it's true. And they won the game that uh, Van Hall uh, coached. They won one nothing. So Undefe- undefeated. That's Cincinnati's coaching Cincinnati, search there you sorted go. right there. Congratulations. <laughs> That'll do it for this segment. We'll be right back for a quick preview of DC United versus Minnesota. Uh, stick around. It's filibuster. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast it is of course 2021 as as we speak right now and that means that there's a quick turnaround again because we're gonna grind all of us players coaches fans podcasters into dust uh for the scheduled gods uh dc united uh will host the western version of the interlopers united uh adrian heats loons saturday night or not saturday wednesday night at audi field 7 30 um, all the usual TV outlets, streaming outlets, if you can't make it down to Buzzard Point. Um, Minnesota are currently even on points with DC United, um, and they matched the sixth place uh, spot in the standings just over in the Western Conference. They've won their last two, both of them at home, uh, but had lost two straight on the road before that to good teams, Seattle and Kansas City, the top two teams in the West. Um, they got worked by by Kansas City, of course. Um, like DC United, the loons are a team that the expected goals models like a lot. They're just behind DC United on the edge of the top five and expected goal differential. They come at it a little differently though. Uh, DC United tends to underform their defense more than their attack. And Minnesota is exactly the opposite. They are massively underperforming their expected goals scored by like seven on the year. Um, so it's a, that's a little scary just because you know that they have some untapped potential on the attacking end. Uh, they're creating chances, but uh, they, they kind of seem to go through one player. They, they have that classic number 10 and it's Emmanuel Reynoso and he, they're going to go as far as he carries them. 
Yeah. Um, and which, which if you watch last year's playoffs, um, you, you got a good dose. He can carry of what, you pretty far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had seven assists in what, I think it was three playoff three games. games. Yeah. Like, it was a crazy, crazy stat line. It didn't even make sense. Um, and that's kind of their deal. Um, they are a team that wants to set up opportunities for him to play people through on the run. Um, even though they've had issues up front where they, uh, you know, Ramon Abila didn't work for them. Uh, he's actually done more with DC already than he did with Minnesota. Um, but like just in general, like no matter what they've done up front, whether it's been trying to play uh, Robin Laud as a forward, which has been, I think, more than anything. Uh, Adrian Huno, their other, their, they brought him in from the French League and he hasn't really played very well, but it's one of those where they seem confident he's going to find his way. Um, once he, you know, it's that classic, like you've come to MLS, you're new to it. You've got to get, get a feel for the league before you start to thrive. Um, regardless of what it is, they're looking for guys to play in behind Ethan Finley out on the right. It's always about let's, let's play the ball through and he's going to get out on the run. Um, whether it's diagonal or through up the wing, whatever it is, um, it's about getting in behind. And so the fact that DC is a high pressing team means that DC gives up some spaces in behind, which means that they have it. This will be definitely more of a challenge than Cincinnati who did not really appear to be set up at all to take advantage of that. Minnesota, on the other hand, fully invested in taking advantage of that. Um, Adrian Heath was not impressed with their two, nothing win over Houston. Emmanuel Reynoso scored a couple of bangers for that one. Both of them from distance. Um, No, no real getting in behind in that one. They're, previous win over mm-hmm. the galaxy uh had a whole bunch of like it, the galaxy were just playing a suicidally high line and not you know doing doing their best jeff cameron stepping impressions mm-hmm. uh to let ethan finley and um whoever else score um on on one v ones but he said that this houston win was actually their worst showing since the four nothing drubbing against kansas city which which was interesting to hear him criticize his own team after a win normally he's criticizing the media for not giving them respect after a win but here he is saying actually um the media is not going to give us a a, our bulletin board material so i have to do it myself i I do appreciate the adrian heathism in this case this is to say this win was our worst performance since that four nothing loss to kansas city which was two games before that they (laughs) they lost to kansas city they beat the galaxy and then this houston game we're talking about um but he's oh, we uh, turned the corner. They turned the corner in that that galaxy. Right. Um, it, it's a it's a we're all trying to find the people who did this kind of vibe. Yeah, and, and you know, Heath is always gonna react emotionally. He's incapable of being calm uh in the post-game presser for whatever reason. He's always super fired up. So um you can expect them to come in and have some emotion. They feed off of that. Um for better or for worse. They are an Adrian Heath team in some ways. Um Certainly he's learned some things. We used to uh, give him a bunch of crap when he was with Orlando. Um, he is a better coach now. Um, I'll say that they, they do look like a, um, a better team these days, but in general, you know, this is a, are arguably one of the trickier games that we've, we've had in quite a while because, you know, the Western conference, it's a, uh, it's a little different soccer wise. It's less pressing less hectic. Um, a little more technical um, in general. So there's that aspect of it. 
Um, this will be the first time a team has come in having traveled this far. Uh, the In MLS, Minnesota to D.C. is not a major road trip, but the way things have been set up this year, in the East anyway, um, most of your road trips aren't very long. Um, not that Minnesota is that far, again, but um, we'll see how they react um, to that aspect of things. Um, you know, it doesn't look like from this last game they were – doing their doing the same thing DC did, which is prioritizing the conference game over the non-conference game midweek. Um, so this might be a situation where maybe they say, you know, maybe Reynoso doesn't have to play because we need him for the weekend, or maybe Finley doesn't need to play because we need him this weekend or Ozzy Alonso, uh, given his age, maybe the fullbacks, um, because, you know, Metanire, uh, the right back especially is, is quite good. Uh, maybe they say, let's rotate someone in there so that he can be fresh for, this coming game. Um, it's an interesting situation because the teams don't have these out of conference games very much. They're rare occasions and we don't have much of any idea how coaches will react to them. They're midweek games. So we know there'll be some level of, um, adjusting to some degree, but we don't know how much. And that's kind of the variable here is like, will Minnesota come in and be like, Oh, we should probably just focus on our, our, I don't even know who they've got on the weekend got, after this. They go to they go to Dallas this weekend, which is okay, not so exactly that, a six pointer, but it's a right. game you you, you probably you need to be winning. To win. much, yeah. much like DC playing Cincinnati. Um, if you're Minnesota at this point in the season, with where they are in the standings, you, being able to beat Houston, even though they they were unhappy with the performance, being able to beat a team like Houston or Dallas, actually all the Texas teams since they're yes. at the bottom three in the, in the West. Um, <laughs> those are the teams you kind of have to be able to say that you can beat. Um, if you are, you know, Minnesota, their spot in the standings is their six, uh, their 37 points, which sounds a lot like DC sixth place in 37. Yeah, exactly. Points. Um, but the difference being that, you know, Minnesota's got, um, uh, you know, Vancouver started to figure some things out. LAFC is, is always capable of being better than eighth place, which is kind of shocking every time you see it. Um, you know, if you're Minnesota, these games are arguably, I would almost say, slightly bigger for them just because DC, with the home schedule they've got, with the the fact that they've been so good at home, they're kind of well set up for the stretch one, whereas Minnesota, it seems like they might need this one a little more. Um, so maybe they don't rotate is what I'm getting at is just the general um, the vibe I get is that Heath might not be inclined to swap too many guys out, but maybe he has to. Um it's a, it's a weird one. We're not, we're used to in the past being like, okay, I can tell you what this team is going to do when they travel far, when they have to go right. play Colorado on a Wednesday or whatever. Um, we've seen DC go to Vancouver uh, on a, on a short rest and be like, yeah, we're rotating. Of course. Um, this is a different, this is not a scenario that we have a lot of track record on right now because the schedule is so weird this year. Um, it's frequent. It never stops, but it's also strange. <laughs> it's a new challenge the five <laughs> subs also makes things a little weird sure um whereas when you only have three subs you might if you're rotating a guy out you might just not bring him on the trip uh with five subs you're like you might get in the game you're you're coming right. um so it's it it's a lot of new kinds of choices for managers to deal with um but yeah like you said this game makes sense to rotate for Minnesota. It doesn't mean they will, but it makes sense as a candidate to rotate because they, it's a midweek game sandwiched between in-conference games. Uh, if they were playing a team higher in the standings that was actually competing for a playoff spot, probably expect 
a higher chance of rotation here than if it's Dallas, who is, you know, all but dust done and dusted yeah. for this season. Um, unless you guys have anything else, that's all I've got on Minnesota. Uh, I mean, the main thing for, for me is that DC has just got to be really prepared to um, when they're, when they're trying to press, when they're trying to be aggressive and play in transition, um, they have to be more aware than normal about how, how well set up they are for if the ball turns over, um, which in this, this past game against Cincinnati, uh, Losada talked about how Cincinnati only left Brenner up there. So a lot of times they not only were playing, it was a five, three, two, but Lucho had also dropped off and was out on the wing. Um, it meant that there was really no good reason for them to keep a third defender back. And so they were often sending Andy Nahar into central midfield and playing a two, five, three, um, in those moments. Um, I don't think that we're going to see too much of that against Minnesota because their wingers are going to step high. They're going to be constantly threatening to make those runs in behind and they're not Reynoso will roam, but he's not going to completely abandon being near the front line. So that, that specific thing that Losada said was specific to how Cincinnati was, has been playing and, and what they expected to see that probably won't be at play here. This might be the game where, you know, Losada said in that answer that, you know, because I asked this question and I framed it as like you've mentioned in the past, having your forwards join in central midfield from the front line to help be that third number today. It seemed like that wasn't what you were doing. Could you explain it? Um, and he said, yeah, sometimes you don't have to have it be the forward. Sometimes it can be the defender jumping up. Um, this is a game where they probably will look to the forward dropping back um, just to add that layer of security um, when the, and it's not even about um, pressing and goal scoring. It's about what happens when DC turns the ball over themselves, because this is a team that is direct. Uh, they are going to take risks with the ball, which means sometimes the ball doesn't go where you wanted it to. Uh, DC's not a passing accuracy team. Um, it's not really, <laughs> not really a thing that they're that super interested in as long as the risks are worth taking. Um, but you're taking them is the point you, we, we will be seeing DC try and do the things they do normally, which means that this game might be end to end. This might be a wild one. Um, because Minnesota has that ability to, especially if they're able to find Reynoso on a regular basis to play pretty dangerous through balls and have the guys that can do something with it when they get going. Even though, you know, Adam, you mentioned they're um, underperforming quite a bit. They've only scored 29 goals this year, um, which kind of screams not very good. Um, but there's a reason they're in six, and it's that there have been enough games where they have put it together. Um, they're a little bit of an odd one. You know, the, yeah, the, this Kansas is... City, the Kansas City loss, like part of the reason they're at a negative or an even goal difference is that when they've lost, they've lost fairly badly, it seems like. They've you know, get blown out by Kansas city. They started the year with four straight losses. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's a, they're a fascinating team. They're not, they don't really play like anyone in the East. I'll say that much. Um, maybe the closest equivalent in mentality is new England. Um, new England has better players and plays a different formation. Um, but the willingness to sort of trade blows for lack of a better way to put it, new England's yeah. like, yeah, sure. We'll play your transition game. Who cares? They're punchers. Um, yeah, Minnesota is also like, yeah, we'll we'll play this open game. We're we're comfortable with this. Um, especially, I know Kansas City has that reputation as a pressing team, but when they beat Minnesota, if you look at the possession data, it's like sixty something percent in Kansas City's favor. Like they just owned the ball for the entire game, and Minnesota tried to hold off and and stand stand deep, and it just didn't work. DC is not going to do that. 
Um, no. We, well, yeah, the, so. yeah, sporting has never been a, well, they've never been primarily a press and transition team the way they, I mean, DC United has first. been. We have to go they, way they back. Wanna, they want to press and get the ball. They want to press sure. so they can have the ball. But the more first than... couple of years under Peter Vermes, it was like, okay, we need to be good at pressing first, and then we'll build yeah. an into the possession thing. But you'd right. have to go back to that like 2012-2013 era to get that kind of team. Um, so yeah, th- there's not a good... And this is the other thing is that makes predicting Minnesota kind of difficult, is that the uh, the West doesn't really have too much in the way of a like high pressing nightmare team that the East is full of these kind of teams. Yes. Uh, the West right. doesn't really do that. The, that's not really, you know, San Jose is in there, but their, their way of doing it is completely different from everyone. And they kind of abandoned it. It wasn't working. It was going badly. So they said, let's do something else. Um, so yeah, there's not a good, you know, sometimes it's easy, uh, easy shorthand to say like, well, who, how did they do against the other teams that kind of play like DC wants to play? We don't really have they that because play those teams. yeah, the West is, is a different kind of conference. Um, there was a tweet going around, I want to say two, three weeks ago. Um, someone that watches one of the Western, uh, a reporter for one of the Western conference teams declared that the West was so clearly better than the East. And I think it was because they didn't understand the idea of pressing. And so they saw the soccer being so frenetic and they saw, oh, this is just a lower caliber of soccer. And I was like, well, bring one of your Western teams over here and let them get in the frenetic pool and see how they do. Um, it's kind of something that happens in women's soccer when people that watch only the women's super league in England are like, these NWSL games are so hectic. No one knows what they're doing. It's like, okay, now bring your, your fancy technician in and put them in that and see what they're capable of. And it turns out most of the time, not a whole lot because uh, there's a reason why pressing has become such a thing in soccer tactics. And it's that it makes it hard to do that other stuff. So um, it's not to say that Minnesota can't figure out how to play around a press. They just, it's not like being in the maelstrom of the East every week where every single game you're playing someone like, you know, if you want to ask Miami, like, how do you do against the press? And they're like, Oh, oh please stop pressing us. Um, <laughs> the West. We, it's like, what's going on over there. Exactly. It seems like you guys are running around a lot. We heard a lot of loud noises this would, from over the Mississippi. I almost, <laughs> I almost wish, wish that this year would be a throwback to uh, uh, MLS playoffs of, of old where uh, they would reseed uh, people from uh, teams from uh, different conferences into other people's conference playoffs. Oh, where so you, just if, have... you, if you were past the last qualifier on your conference, but you had more points than right the, like yeah those wild card spots that, I, yeah i, I want to see some, i want to see some more east chaos in the west yeah the only time the red bulls have ever made it to mls cup was as the representatives of the western conference yes <laughs> that's that's where where that was um i will say one last observation i don't think even with a three nothing lead at halftime i don't think dc united can sub off everyone the way they did against cincinnati with the Probably firepower not. that minnesota has i think you have to be a little more cautious on that front which which is too bad because you know that dc united of course has a game looming on saturday as well so be nice to be able to do that. So, you know, get a five, nothing lead in the first half, then you can start pulling, <laughs> pulling everyone off. Sure. Just, uh, that, just tell the team to score five goals. Uh, that's yeah. the, the tactical recipe for this one. Yes. <laughs> My tactics are win five, nothing score all five goals quickly. Cruise from there. Thank you all for listening 
to this episode. That does it for us. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, find us on Twitter at black and red U for the website at filibuster DCU for the podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Please give us good ratings and write nice things about us wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly tell a friend about the show. When you are uh, on the Metro talking to a stranger or a friend uh, on Wednesday going to the game, you know, mention the podcast. Mention something you learned about the team uh, on this show. And that'd be really nice for you to do for us. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. We need a break from soccer, though. We need fewer games. Someone help. December. It's called December. But League's Cup is coming, guys. Okay.